0: One of the things we are grappling with is what does it look like when you have to hold two things to be true at the same time even though they might create tension or they might create problems between them. Uh, People really struggle with this, letting two things be true at the same time. Um, I I know I might get a a, a little annoying about this. I say it all the time. I'm probably not going to stop saying it, so you just get used to it. Uh, But I love a yes and... Yes, and, uh, like people, like my staff will always come, we'll be like, what are we gonna do about this? What should we, what about i be like? Hmm, I think yes, and, like all the time, uh, I, I think there's just so much beauty in that. I love the third option, why? Because I see it in the life of Christ. I just love how Jesus responded time and time again when people presented him with an either or option. They were always trying to trap him in different things. I use this example a lot, but you know that uh, story, the Gospel of John, where uh, the the religious leaders bring the adulterous woman and say, the law says that she needs to be stoned. What do you say? So they're presenting Jesus with an option. Option A, if you stone her, uh, then she's now dead. (laughs) And that's a horrible thing. But it is what the law says should happen to an adulterous woman. So Uh, So all of his fault, all that he had been teaching, it wouldn't wouldn't have lined up there. And yet, if he decided, no, we're not going to follow the law anymore, he would have been making a huge statement in his culture and in his religion to say, the law doesn't matter, and that's not at all what Jesus said. So he's presented with, do I go law? Do I go grace? What do I do? And Jesus is so awesome because he always picks the third option. He says um okay yeah you're right the law does say that so uh you are invited to stone this woman if you are without sin you go ahead and cast those stones and of course they all walked away because none of them could do that all of us are guilty all of us are carrying sin uh, us, apart from the forgiveness of christ so um so then he looks at the woman and he doesn't say you're welcome bye he doesn't say that either he says where are, who condemns you nobody okay awesome now go and sin no more. Grace and truth. Like Jesus is just amazing at this. We know from last week from John 1, that's literally what he came to do. In our Bible and a year reading plan, we're almost done. Y'all, who, those of us who have been doing it together, this has been a great year reading the word together. We've been in the, in the prophets um, for Months, I don't know, months, they're quite, they're big big books. We've been in the prophets for a while, and I'm reminded as I'm reading the Old Testament pro- prophetic books that God delivers punishment and justice in terrifying ways, um, especially as he was rendering out justice um, to some of those Old Testament, and, and some of those Old Testament ways, and in the midst of all of those judgments that needed to happen, he also shows the most incredible protection he restores he redeems he responds to his people he continually makes a way for them to come back like both of those things are true at the same time and this is not meant to be confusing i'm not trying to confuse you about who god is or what is on his heart it's just simply true of him uh he he, he, it forces us to approach him and our relationship with him with humility uh with and, and hearts that know how much we need to hear from God because uh, we can't just put him in a little box and say this is who God is. God, God holds all of these things perfectly and he knows exactly what to do when we can get really stuck in one side or another, one box or another. So we, we know that we are called by, by the example of Christ to hold the word of God um, and the truth of the word of God tightly in our lives. It's so important. And to uh, with with grace and with kindness and with mercy, know how much we ourselves have needed to receive those things and how much we don't understand since we are not God and and understand, oh man, all of these things can be true at the same time. So we're going to hold on to that. You know, uh, writing a sermon is sometimes people ask me, like, what's it like to write a sermon? I always say, listen, if you are a student in this place and you're like, I have an essay to write. This is my kids. I always mock them about this. I have to write an essay. And now they're all in post-secondary too, so the essays are more significant, more substantial. I go like, I literally wrote an essay every week. I do 40 in a year or something like that. Uh, I'm like, how long is your essay? It's like a thousand words. I'm like, I do a 25 word essay every single week, so just don't even worry about it. They don't; they're not impressed by that. They don't love; they don't love that. I say that to them. Uh, but when we people always like, what's the process of writing a sermon and all that kind of stuff? It's because it's, it's it is sort of a weird. It's kind of a cool and weird thing I get to do uh, as part of my work. Um, I, I do. We it kind of comes in two sections. There's always the. Planning, so we are always planned our sermon series, like the presence of God, uh, well ahead of time, months, uh, sometimes up to half a year ahead of time. I'd like to be even further ahead than that, but sometimes that's difficult. So we plan our sermon series. We know where we're going. We know kind of uh, what, we, what we want to talk about in general terms. We usually know what scriptures we're going to be focusing on and that kind of thing. And then when we get closer to the beginning of any particular uh, series or sermon, then I really start to get into, so we start to study those scriptures themselves and get into uh, commentaries and and all of that kind of thing and certainly learn more about those scriptures. And the most interesting thing, like this is why I love doing this as part of my work, I feel such a privilege that I get to do it, um, that I often, often go into the scriptures with a plan in mind, which is good, um, and I get redirected. When I, when I start studying the actual scriptures. And usually it doesn't, it doesn't change the series or even necessarily what we're talking about, but how often I go in with an idea of what we're going to be talking about, and uh, actually a very specific idea, and as I'm studying the scriptures, I learn something or I, I, the, something else completely emerges and I get to shift my focus and we end up talking on a Sunday morning about something different than I thought we were going to talk about six months ago, but it's within the same category. So it's kind of this cool way that we get to do both we the the spirit speaks well in advance and he also leads as we get closer and then he's going to lead us this morning as we are looking in the word again he's just so good like that over over on one side of course i have good thoughtful preparation i don't i didn't wake up this morning and say lord give me a word for your church (laughs) That would be terrifying for you and for me, okay? We're not, we don't, I don't do it like that. I think good, thoughtful preparation is a beautiful thing. I think that's part of the calling of pastoral ministry and teaching ministry. But over here, I have this, so we have this good, thoughtful preparation. I know where I'm going, and the Spirit has led that. And then also, what's also true is that as we look into the Word, as we dig deeper, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal more and more uh, what He wants to say, and new direction. It's so fun. That's why I'm never at a loss to say any words. I always have words for you. (laughs) There's always more things to learn and the things that I'm unpacking. So several months ago when I planned this Presence of God series, I pulled two scriptures to preach on one from Ephesians chapter two, and one from 1 Corinthians three, and I planned to tell you about the incredible joy of knowing that the temple is no longer a physical location. We've been talking about the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant, and the temple, and we talked last week about Jesus. And I, I wanted to—I was so excited because I'm going to tell you about the incredible joy we have that that's not where, the temple of God is not a physical location anymore that we have to travel to but it is us it's you and me it's us filled with the spirit of god filled with the glory of god filled with the presence of god because when jesus ascended into heaven he sent the spirit on the day of pentecost to fill and equip the church with power to witness So I was like, that's where I was going months ago when I planned this series. And that is very, very true. Everything I just said, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Right, church? Like, this is true. We're going to get a little bit more into that. But there was something else that emerged that is also true at the same time as I was working through these scriptures. And it's, again, it's this yes and, these two things that are true at the same time. And that's why I love this so very much. There is wonder in what we're going to talk about, about the presence of God and being the temple of God. And there is also in these scriptures a warning. There's wonder and there's a warning, and they're both going to be what we need. And um, I think it's so beautiful that as we heard uh, the message in tongues and the interpretation of that message this morning, this is essentially exactly what we heard from the Lord, that we need to know his truth and we need to trust the word And we need to also understand his love. There's wonder and there's a warning in there. I I don't know if you heard that. I certainly was listening for that as well. So let's start first with the wonder and let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. If you are new with us, uh, you might not know this. So we use the YouVersion Bible app really frequently here. And if you're in there, I've shown a few of you how to do this recently. Um, And so, uh, so... please use it. It's great. Uh, If you go more, hit more. It's usually in the bottom right corner, at least is is in the iOS version, Um, and then hit events, and then your app will find our service, and you can, these scriptures are already loaded in there for you, so you can find them that way. Save that if you want to take your own notes, that kind of thing, so pretty cool service that they have there. Also, of course, as you're finding that, Ephesians chapter 2, This week's YouTube playlist is there. So everything Talitha just led you in is already loaded. What's that song again? It's there for you. It's right there. Okay, it's for you. So let's talk about, first of all, the wonder of the presence of God no longer dwelling in a physical location that you have to travel to, but something else entirely has happened. So I'm going to read uh, verses 12 and 13 and then 18 to 22. It says this. Remember that at the time... At that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 18. For through him, we, he's talking to the Jews and Gentiles in the church in Ephesus, we have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In Christ Jesus, in Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. This language is so intentional, and I hope it just makes your heart so happy. There is so much imagery woven into this text, whether you were Jewish or a Gentile um, in the Ephesian church, you would have likely caught the significance of all of this right away because there's a temple in Jerusalem that uh, that was not the one that Pastor Aaron described a little bit last week or certainly not the tabernacle that I described two weeks ago or the one I described in our first week of our series. Solomon's temple was built, and it was destroyed by the Babylonians, and then it was rebuilt after they were exiled to ba- ba- Babylon. Babylon, and then, uh, But this temple that they had in the time of the writing of this passage was actually maybe what you would call a third temple. It was often called Herod's temple, because uh, King Herod had actually restored the temple again because it had gone into disrepair. And Herod's uh, renovated temple had a new feature. It had the court of the Gentiles. So this is like this is maybe a little bit hard to see. I don't. It doesn't have all the labels on it, but you see that big area that's that's outside of the actual temple itself. That's the court of the Gentiles. So if you were not Jewish, that's as far as you could go towards the presence of God. There is a literal wall that would separate you from going into the temple. So there was uh, all of this system of courts um, as you go through. There was the court of the Gentiles, which is basically the outside. You went in and there was the court of the women that was as far as the women could go, the Jewish women, of course, only. Um, And then there was the court of the Israelites where the men could then go even further into the temple. Then there was the court of the priests that you had to be a priest to go further. And then, of course, there was the holy place that the, the high priest could go into once a year for a limited amount of time. So there was this system of of courts that had always been true. Some of that had always been true in all versions of this temple. But Herod's temple had this court of the Gentiles where those who were non-Jewish could come and uh, participate kind of in some ways, but not really. That was as far as they were allowed to go. If you want to think about it like this, it would be like on our church property here, that the property itself outside of this building, thinking about this building like looking at the drone view of this, The property and driveway and all that kind of stuff, that's the court of the Gentiles. So if you were a Gentile, you'd have to stay outside. You weren't allowed in the building. And then uh, men, women, and children would be allowed into the lobby. But only the men would be allowed into the sanctuary. And only the priests would be allowed into the altar area. And only one high priest would be allowed up on the platform once a year. Does that make sense? So, this is what we're dealing with here, and what the imagery that Paul is writing about, like this is the imagery he's drawing on, so that they'll understand what has now happened in Christ. Because of Christ, how this has changed so much, he's drawing on this imagery. So, Jews and Gentiles would have both understood this because the court of the Gentiles existed in this version of the temple. So, in verse 13, when he says, uh, You were brought near, it means that the Gentiles don't have to stop anymore in that first court. That's what that literally means that there was a physical barrier between those courts which was a it was an outward expression of the mosaic law because the law had said this was for God's chosen people for the Jews and that was the rules and that's how it was all set up but all of that had been brought down by Christ like literally the the he is our peace who has broken down every wall like this is the imagery that's being used here everyone is free to go right to the holy place. You guys want to hang up? I know everyone loves being in front of people and talking to crowds. You guys want to come up here with me? Everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome here. It's not just for one person once a year anymore. This is great news for the Gentiles, of course. It's great news for actually all the Jews as well because essentially none of them had ever been to the inner court. Everyone then, everyone who was was set at a distance from the presence of God is now welcome to draw near because of the blood sacrifice that was made once for all. So the system of sacrifice and the system of coming once a year only, all of that was torn down. That veil was torn and all of those things. We talked about that quite a bit last week. Jesus made that sacrifice. It was once for all. And so the invitation here now is come. So, so come. Like we want you to, like you're, you're welcome. All of that's been broken down. Of course, that physical temple still existed, but spiritually everything had changed since Christ. One commentator said it like this as Paul was dictating his letter, there stood in Ephesus a magnificent marble temple of Artemis. Great is Diana of the Ephesians, it said. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and in whose inner shrine there was a statue of the goddess. And at the same time, in Jerusalem, there stood a Jewish temple built by Herod the Great, barricading itself against the Gentiles, and now also against God, whose Shekinah glory had housed, it had housed in its inner sanctuary for centuries, but whose glory, as revealed in its Messiah, it had sought to extinguish. Two temples, one pagan and the other Jewish, each designed by its devotees as a divine residence, but both empty of the living God. For now there is a new temple, a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It is his new society, his redeemed people scattered throughout the inhabited world. They are his home on the earth, and they will also be his home in heaven. For the building is not yet complete. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Only after the creation of the new heaven and the new earth will the voice from the throne declare with emphatic finality, Behold, the dwelling of God is with And that last piece is a reference to Revelation chapter 21. In the NIV it says this in verses 3 and 4. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. This is when everything has been made new. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed Away. That's our blessed hope, church. And so, as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, this is what he's saying to them. He's saying, Listen, we are being built into not a pagan shrine, not into um, an, uh, an altar unto ourselves. We are together now being built into a temple that is going to have its final destination for eternity. As the dwelling place of God. So we are being built into something eternal right now. You don't have to wait, and you could start this. This process is happening in you right now because of what Christ has done. And all I can think when I, I think about that is like just oh the oh the wonder of that. I I don't know what your morning routine looks like, but did you look at yourself in the mirror today and just pause for a moment and just say, oh, I'm so amazed, thank you, Lord, that I am the dwelling place of God's spirit. Did you look at your reflection this morning and just be so grateful that you are a vital part of the holy temple, that the Lord is growing and being built in in this world and then for eternity? Is that what your self-talk sounded like this morning? It was not mine, and I was preaching this. So I was just, brush my teeth, and I'm just Tracy. Like, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm nobody. But this is what the Word of God says about me, about you, and about us, specifically together as his church. That we are his temple, the dwelling place of his spirit that's being built as we do this together now and will be finally completed as the final dwelling place for God. In eternity. That's just, it's like I hope you feel wonder around that. It's incredible to think that that's what's going on spiritually with us right now. We may not have looked in the mirror and thought about it today, but that is what we're dealing with. We are not foreigners or strangers to God. We are citizens of his kingdom we are a member of his family, and we together that house the glory and presence of God in this world, a new and eternal temple. Just wow. And we're going to hold on to that wonder, because we've just read so clearly in Scripture that that's who we are. And we also, when we talk about this same language of us as the temple of the Holy Spirit, that we are God's temple, Scripture also gives us a really specific warning about the building of this temple. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 to 17. I don't like reading that off my screen. If I read from 1 Corinthians 10, that's going to be not great. This is what happens when I don't put my bookmark in. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 10. It says this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, so the day meaning the day of the Lord or the end of all things, when God uh, judges all things, that's what it means by uppercase D, day, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss and yet will be saved, even though as as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. So we have a word of warning intermingled here with the wonder that we've been taught about us being the temple of God. It says, you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in your midst. This is a reiteration, again, of what, was taught, what he was talking about in Ephesians. And again, this is stunning. The God of the universe, creator of all things, is here with us. He has made his home in us. He is here right now. He is present in his people, in all who have put their faith in Jesus. And so this has to be joyfully and also soberly considered in the life of every believer you see it's possible to know jesus and to begin to build your life with him as your cornerstone meaning like the first the first um, stone in in the building of the foundation the, the one that's going to make sure that everything is built properly it's it's the foundational stone of the foundation itself if, if, you're, if you're going to do that, it's possible to begin your life that way and, and be adding bricks, uh, your, your brick, sometimes that, that's like that, adding your brick to the household of faith, and that is being built in him and all of this beautiful imagery we have. It's possible to start that way and end up building something else entirely. That's the warning here. Because there's two categories you might have noticed of materials here. There are valuable things that you can build with, that will withstand fire, that are given at great cost. And there are things in this list that are worthless and quickly burned and cost the builder very little or nothing at all. It's gold and silver and costly stones versus wood and hay and straw. Did you notice the dichotomy there, like that setup? And I, want you to, I don't want you to be mistaken here. Um, it's a temple. The word temple in this scripture is singular. So there's one temple. But you is plural. So the reference here is to the church. It's saying, listen, as you gather, certainly we have individual responsibilities. Certainly this is true of each individual believer, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're told that in other places in scripture. But here, very specifically, it's warning us that as a church, we have to be cautious that what we are building is going to last And be very, very uh, mindful of And the reason being, of course, because we're not building just anything. We are building the the temple of God. We are in the household of faith. We're building something that needs to last for eternity. And so we need to be cautious here. And the distinction is not between, uh, like, people who build with wood and hay and straw, people who build with gold and silver and costly uh, gems, jewels, what did it say? Stones. (laughs) Stones, costly stones. Uh, Those those two groups are not unsaved and saved. They're not the lost and the redeemed. He's talking entirely to the church, those who have already met Jesus. It describes churches, both corporately, us together, and us as individuals, as the church, who have built well and those who have built poorly. As uh, William... Barclay says, Paul is thinking here not of building up wrong things, but of building up inadequate things. It's possible to present to others a version of Christianity which is weak and watered down, a one-sided view that which stressed some things too much and others too little, and in which things have got out of balance, a warped perspective in which even the greatest matters have emerged distorted. When we speak for Christ, we must speak as if Christ were listening as indeed he is. A test like that will rescue us from many a mistake. Because it says that at the end of all things, when the day comes, the day of judgment comes, when all of this is over and Jesus comes and he wins the victory and all things are made new, and everything in our life is on display in front of him. It's going to be tested as though in fire and what remains is the things that were built that were costly, that were eternal, that were worth it. But even those who who know Christ, you can build something that is so inadequate that all of it will be burned up. And we have to be cautious about what we do with our lives and what what we are building. And so we hold the wonder of this truth of us being the temple of God with this warning at the same time. Both are true. We carry the very presence of God with us. We are invited into more. We are invited to know him more. And we can take that glory and we can build in our own strength. We can take that glory that we, when we first met Jesus. We can take that tr- life transformation and then we can go on our own path. We can do it our own way. We can do what's comfortable for us. We can dismiss the parts of scripture or the commands of Christ which are difficult or don't suit us or whatever. And anything that we build this way will not survive in the end. It will not withstand the fire of testing. And that again is the wonder and the warning of being the temple of God, the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. It's absolutely Incredible. I mean, we could we could talk about this for a very long time. But even the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament, how often they fell into disrepair. How often um, those the the precious things that were in there were stripped, and and how this all of this needed to be restored. And finally, the temple was destroyed in about seventy A.D. It didn't last. Those things were never meant to last, and so we understand that in our lives, we need to be building in a way that lasts. If you want to live in the beauty of the presence of God, if you want this to be true of your life, if you long for him, then I would just encourage you, as even I was doing, as I was reading the scripture and being like, there is not just beauty here, there is also a warning. Receive this warning as an invitation today to examine your life. Think about your life. Think about your relationship with Christ. Think of where it started. Think about where it is now. Think about where you would like it to go, what you see for the future. Think about your practices in your faith. Think about how you talk about your faith. Think about all of these things combined, and, and let's just let's, let's match it up to Scripture. Ask yourself, then, what are you building Are you building with gold and silver and costly stones? Are you building with wood and hay and straw, things that are not going to stand up, things that are weak, things that when they're tested by fire will not stand? What are, because this scripture is is very corporate in its intent, what are we building as a church? It is certainly my responsibility as your pastor to be asking this question all the time. Everything we do, every program we run, every time we gather, what are we building? Every conversation we have, what are we building? Are we building things that are going to last? Or are we building things that are good for the moment and are, are, are going to be burned up as useless? They're going to water things down. If we want to be those who know the presence of God, who, who walk through this life as the temple of God, who carry his presence into a lost and broken world, we have to be able to recognize the wonder of how incredible that is and also be able to recalibrate with this warning. Consistently recalibrate, consistently test the things in our lives so that we know they're going to withstand in the end. You might say, I hear you, but that's, um, I love the concept of it, but I have no idea how that relates to my life. Because I was trying to think all week, like, what does, it, what does it look like when I'm building with wood, hay, or straw, or with gold, silver, and costly stones? Like, what's the, what, is, what does it actually look like in my life? And the trouble with this is it's going to be a little different for each of us. So, uh, I'm, I'm, so I'm just going to say, some of the things I was thinking about, this is not an exhaustive list so much as just I was like, Lord, show me some of the things that I've done in my life or that we might be tempted to do individually or as a church that don't please you, that are going to be burned up, that aren't, aren't um, honoring you as the temple of God, as the, the building that you want to do. So some examples of maybe some wood, hair, or straw would be your feeling about something. <laughs> That's just such a general one. It's true. Your emotions are not true. They might be true, but I wouldn't trust them. I just, I mean, I wouldn't trust mine. The way you feel about something is not necessarily true. It's just how you feel. Emotions are beautiful, and they're given to us as part of the creation. So they're, I'm not saying they're a bad thing, but we can't hold them as true. That's how I feel about something. And if I build my life on how things feel, I am building with wood, hay, and straw. Like, what was the other thing? I don't know why I can't remember that. How, you're, if, you're building, you found, if, if your faith is dependent on how you woke up this morning and how you felt, you are in danger of building with something that's not going to last. Another example might be your emphasis on grace or your emphasis on truth. Scripture is so clear. If we want to follow Jesus, we have to do both. Some of us really lean into truth, and we, we, just, we really struggle to give grace to people. Who are, who are struggling with struggling, who may have a different situation than us or whatever, try to teach them. And dis- the, the whole act of discipleship is, is actually a balance of those two things. But we, we, we really lean on truth. We, we, really, we struggle to not be judgmental. And some of us really struggle with, with uh, leaning so far into grace that we, we don't want to tell people what's true because it's uncomfortable, and, and we just want to say that everything's fine, everything's good. It doesn't matter. You're, oh, we're all just learning. We're all sinners saved by grace. Is that untrue? No. But that's not the whole story because we're called to more, right? So if we don't intentionally hold grace and truth, and, and fight and, and fight against maybe our natural inclination to look more and more like Jesus, then we are in danger of building something that that's going to be that's not going to withstand. Maybe. An example of, of building this way would be spending your time or money on what you want, not understanding stewardship, that everything is his, and we are spending it dependent on how he leads us, and listening to the, the man, this is a real Black Friday, Cyber Monday thing to say, I guess, but, uh, but thinking about all of our resources, our time, our finances, our energy, all of these things um, as being stewarded. So as gifts from God that are stewarded, everything belongs to him. And if we don't build that way, we're just, we're just like building into our own kingdom. All that's not going to last. Maybe another example of this would be chasing happiness and comfort. Maybe getting by on the bare minimums. Like your spiritual life is like holding on by a thread, but you're still holding on by a thread. And there's just like so much more for you. You're not building things that are going to last into your spiritual life. Maybe it's adopting a secular worldview on difficult issues because it's easier. Oh man, the temptation is so strong here. This is what we've been talking about at Sunday Night Conversations as well, that temptation, uh, like to just, to want to compromise on what we see in scripture because it would be easier in the conversations around the water cooler. But if we want to build something that will, will last, we have to speak truth in grace. Another one might be, you make your spiritual disciplines optional. I don't read that in scripture anywhere. The gathering of the saints like this, not optional. Not in, I don't, there's nowhere in scripture that it says, come to Jesus and then go do that by yourself. Like literally nowhere. It's always corporate. We, we need one another. Or your, your Bible reading, your prayer time, your intentional listening to the spirit. The, if these, if these um, spiritual disciplines are optional in your life, very few and far between, you're building, you're using your time and you are building your spiritual life in a way that is not going to be sustained. Not now, I will tell you that for sure, but certainly not in eternity. But what does it look like if I build my life with things like gold and silver and costly stone? What's that metaphor mean? Again, it's, it's about the opposite of some of those things. It's obeying the commands of Christ even when it's uncomfortable. Do you know how uncomfortable it is sometimes when you read scripture and you're just like, I do that, but I wanna keep doing that. <laughs> I just, I don't I don't wanna change it because I like it. Is that just me? Is that do I only, am I the only one who talks like that to Jesus? I I am called to obey the commands of Christ even when it's uncomfortable. And I, I mean I'm gonna tell you why in a second here, but I'll just give you the, the preemptive thing. It's so much better. What I think I want is actually not what I want. What I want, actually what he wants for me because it is always so much better. Which is fair because he's God and I am not. And it's a, constant, it's a constant struggle to be reminded of that in my spirit. Example of building with gold, silver, and costly stone. Asking God first before you do something. Staying in step with his spirit. Not doing a thing and then saying, oh, hey God, would you bless the thing? It's, it's, it's bringing him into every decision. It's, it's asking him first what he wants you to do in any particular situation. Uh, I, this is the opposite of the one I started with on the other side, which is trusting God above your feelings. Trusting God above your feelings. I, I am not... Oh, like, I don't know why I keep... I need to find a synonym. I was going to say poo-pooing again, and then somebody made fun of me the other day. <laughs> I'm not poo-pooing your feelings. Your feelings are real, okay? We validate your feelings, and they are also not God. He is still faithful. He is still trustworthy. He has still saved his people. He will still be coming for his church. He will still make all things new. All of these things are true, and your feelings are going to be different tomorrow than they are today. So we have to realize that. So we trust God more than we trust how we feel in this moment. And we begin to build our lives with gold and silver and costly stones and things that will matter. We teach our children what scripture says and we let them, that, like, teach them how to make that the lens for everything else they hear in the crazy world around them. You make that, the teaching of scripture, the default for your thinking and your decision-making in your home and for your conversations. You make that the, the default for you if, as an individual, but for your family, for your time and your resources and your decision-making. What does scripture say? What is the Holy Spirit saying to me? And these become the default. This is how you build your life in ways that matter things that will last forever. Now listen, this is, this is my last thought for this morning, but I, just, I, I put this in here kind of at the last minute because I want to make sure that um, I can speak truth to something that is almost certainly a lie that the enemy is telling some of you. The enemy will tell you that building with things that will last, like the list that I just said, is stifling to your freedom and it's too hard. Some of you are sitting in this room going, that sounds exhausting. I can't be perfect all the time. What is she talking about? I know, right? You can't be perfect all the time. We're all kind of a mess without Jesus. We're a big mess. We need him so much. And that's the good news of the gospel, is that you are not called to be perfect on your own. You are called to walk in the righteousness that Christ has provided for you and let him change your life. These are two very different things. So do not believe the lie that it's easier to do things your way and on your time and in your schedule and with your feelings. I promise you, in the end, it will not be easier. I promise you that the best life that you can live is in surrender and submission to God. He has only your best interests at heart. He is the one who sees your life from beginning to end and is drawing you towards that. You can trust him. And it's definitely not worse. It's so much. I mean, you are smart, wonderful people. But if I had to put my money somewhere, whether or not Josh Kubasek could tell me better about how to live my life than God could, sorry, Josh, I'm picking God every time, like every time. And he's a smart business guy. He's very creative. He's got lots to offer the world. But I'm not going to choose that opinion, just like I wouldn't choose mine over what God would say. That's, that's the perspective we need to have. When your life becomes defined by things that will last, you will find things in your life that the world promises but cannot deliver on. The world promises you peace, it cannot deliver. The world promises you joy in the form of happiness, it cannot deliver. The world promises you love, it cannot deliver. The world promises you, let's just name all the fruit of the spirits, self-control, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, It promises you all of these things. It cannot deliver on them. Only the Holy Spirit living and working and building in you can do that work. And so it is always worth, always worth surrendering yourself and saying, Holy Spirit, I am a temple being built and I am going to choose to build with things that will last forever. So I know those aren't like, what to do on Tuesday kind of application points. But I just had to remind you this morning that all of this is yours in Christ and all of this is worth pursuing with your whole life because while there is a warning to be cautious with how we build, there is a wonder to the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Team, would you come? We just we need to, a moment to reflect, I think, this morning. I know that I do. I have such an advantage, of course, because I've been living um, with these scriptures and um, in this this message for a while. But man, when I just think about what I'm doing with my life, the decisions I'm making. I want, I don't want to make it through by the skin of my teeth, you know what I mean? I am invited to live in so much more. And that's not, like, that's my story. I'm saying it like an individual. But I want you to understand that this scripture is talking to us as a church. Church, what do we want to do? How do we want to build? What is it that we want uh, our, our influence to be in this community? What is it that, what, in, what, uh, what witness do we want to have in Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, all, all these surrounding areas what is it that we want to look like? What is it that we want to build as a church? Because his presence is here. And I don't know if you have felt it. Maybe you've had goosebumps. We don't trust our emotions. But still, sometimes we can really sense the presence of God. And I know that for me this morning, as Talitha was leading us earlier and even now, Holy Spirit is working. He's working on us as individuals but he's working on us as a church and I think he is calling us to say build carefully but understand that every day you as individuals but every time we gather every time we represent him that his presence dwells in the midst of his people his presence dwells in the midst of his people So when you come in here on a Sunday morning, my expectation of you and yours should be for me, that we come expecting to to, um, have the presence of God be felt and let it change us and transform us to be more like Christ. That we do that together. That we expect that for ourselves. We expect it for one another because God is faithful and can be trusted. and He's building this into us. Let's stand together. That's a good pick. Um, We're going (laughs) to... All these kids growing up doing such good work in in the church. I want to just invite you to just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what am I building my life with? And how am I helping to build the church? And let him say what he needs to say to you. Can we do that? Let's just take a moment and ask him those simple things.